Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Tuesday, August 22nd. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Today, we follow our teacher shortage reporting with teachers' own stories. Plus, a lack of bus drivers adds to the back-to-school chaos. But first, why middle-class Americans are saddled with the most medical debt. That's today's One Big Thing. Yesterday, we talked about the new levels of credit card debt across America. Well, at least 100 million Americans have some sort of medical debt. That's according to KFF. But the group with the highest rates of medical debt might surprise you. Nearly one in four middle class Americans, that's people who earn between 50 to $100,000 a year, have unpaid medical bills, according to a new report from the think tank Third Way. Axios' Tina Reid is here with the big picture. Hi, Tina. Hi, Nyla. Why is it that middle-class Americans have the highest rates of medical debt? So this report found that the middle class were more likely than those with lower incomes to actually seek care, but they were less likely to be able to pay those bills than those with higher incomes, who also tend to have better health insurance coverage. So does the amount of debt vary for middle-class individuals when you think about age or race or education level? There were some great disparities when we look at this data. Younger people were more likely than older people to have debt in the middle class. Uh, In particular, we saw when folks hit Medicare age, uh, 65 and older, this was less of a phenomena. We saw that Black and Hispanic middle class people were more likely than white middle class people to have medical debt. In fact, the report found that 37.5% of the Black middle class have medical debt, while it found only 20.4% of white middle class people have medical debt. So the differences are quite stark. And what is medical debt like for lower income Americans? So the authors were quick to point out that this says a lot about low income Americans as much as it does about middle class when it comes to medical debt, because People with lower incomes are only slightly less likely to have medical debt, if only because they're delaying or not even getting care because they're worried about being able to afford it. So, Tina, given some of the decisions people are making, how are people seeing this affect healthcare decisions? So this is what we've seen in our reporting in the past, where people are making a decision about whether or not to get a pricey cancer drug or cancer treatment because of the financial impact it might have on their family. This is part of one of the drivers of the big conversation about insulin prices as people were actually spacing out, filling their insulin uh, refills. So this can really play out in a number of different ways where people are really not accessing the best care and getting worse outcomes as a result. Medical debt is treated differently than like credit card debt when it comes to your credit report, right? Yes. So this was an issue that Congress took on a couple years ago, starting in July 2022, Paid medical collection debt was no longer included on consumer credit reports. In addition, they extended the time period before unpaid medical collection debt would appear on a consumer's report from six months to a year, just to give them more time to work things out. And then in April, they removed medical collection debt with an initial reported balance of under $500 from credit reports. So there has been some change, and this has moved in the positive direction because this has hit so many people's credit in the past. Tina, overall, what do you think this new report tells us about the status of healthcare in America? This is just a huge economic issue when you think about how far it stretches across America's households, despite the fact that over 90% of the U.S. population does have some sort of health insurance. It not only creates huge financial burdens for patients and their families, 
tied to issues such as housing, it can actually have some health ramifications, including higher rates of anxiety, depression. It can exacerbate chronic health conditions as people skip or space out their care. So this is a really important issue. Tina Reed is the author of the Axios Vitals newsletter. Thanks, Tina. Thank you, Nyla. In a moment, teachers on the state of their profession. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. We heard from so many of you in response to our reporting yesterday on the persistent teacher shortage in America. Teachers or former teachers in different phases of their careers told us about their experiences. Amy from Bend, Oregon says, I'm heading into year 22 as a teacher and planning for it to be my last year. I'm not leaving because of the students, but rather the lack of advancement opportunities for experienced teachers in my area. I can't move away, so I'll be looking for remote work that allows me to both use my skills and intelligence and to grow my abilities. Additionally, I can't make ends meet financially as a sole provider, and I'm at the top of my district's pay scale. Olivia also wrote in to say, I'm a special education teacher in L.A., and you hit all the issues right on the head. Teaching isn't what it used to be, and it's hard to stick with the profession. Hey, Myla. This is Emily. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was a teacher for 20 years and um, wanted to share that I was part of that burnout group after so long in the field. And I came to found uh, this instructional model that I actually now work for. It's called the Modern Classrooms Project. The goal is to empower educators to sort of reimagine how they're delivering instruction so there's more time for connection and letting students work at their own appropriate paces. So anyway, I think it's a solution that's keeping a lot more people in the field. It did for me. Um, Now I work there full time, but it kept me teaching two more years. So to hope in a really hard time being educated. Finally, John in Washington, D.C. told us his undergraduate degree is in education, but now he's working as a contractor. Teaching is 100 percent my calling, he said, but I don't want to die in poverty or in a classroom. Thank you all for sharing your thoughts and experiences. Meanwhile, a note about another shortage that's creating back-to-school challenges in the U.S., school bus drivers. According to new USA Today analysis, every single state has seen at least one instance of a major school bus driver shortage so far this year. Surveys put some of these as the top reasons for the shortage. Difficulty recruiting new bus drivers, drivers retiring, low pay, and drivers moving to private industry. Axios has new reporting on this. We'll have a link in our show notes. Finally today, let's go! If you've played a Super Mario game any time since the 1990s, I'll bet you recognize that voice. Well, Nintendo announced yesterday the man behind the English-language Mario and other voices in its universe is stepping back from those roles. We asked Axios' Steven Totillo to give us this tribute. Video game players have a special connection to the voice actors who portray the characters that we control. When we've been playing Super Mario games for the last 25 years, we've been in control of Mario's feet, uh, how fast he runs, when he jumps. But it's Charles Martinet who was responsible for the voice that came out of Mario's mouth. He never had much to say. He was always excited. You would get those woohoos and those it's-a-me, but uh, not really a full sentence. But that was enough. That was enough to make Charles Martinet's voice uh, as Mario probably the most iconic voice we've ever heard from a video game character. He also did a great Luigi and a really great Wario, and while Luigi too. 
Uh, we don't know who the voice will be in the next Super Mario game, but we do know that this was a summer of nostalgia. This was a summer for Barbie at the movies, Grimace back at McDonald's, and uh, maybe also a time for the twilight of, uh, of a really fantastic and iconic run as the voice of Mario. And uh, stay tuned, I guess, to find out what the new one sounds like. Now the next use is gaming editor Steven Totillo. And a note that in this spring's wildly successful Super Mario Brothers movie, actor Chris Pratt voiced Mario. But Charles Martinet was also a voice actor in the movie with the character of Giuseppe. That's it for us today. I've been in Grand Rapids, Michigan this week, helping with some dorm move-ins for family as the new year begins for colleges, universities, feeling for all of you parents saying those first goodbyes. And a big thanks to my alma mater, Calvin University, for giving us great studio space for recording the podcast. As always, you can send feedback by emailing podcasts at axios.com or you can text me at 202-918-4893. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. We want to tell you about BioEats World, the chart-topping life sciences podcast produced by leading venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz, A16Z. From conversations on American healthcare with billionaire Mark Cuban to deep dives into medical mysteries with Stanford professor Ewan Ashley, BioEats World is ahead of the curve. Follow BioEats World on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite app for listening.